You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. This is Erin McCart. And this is Erin McCourts. And welcome back, everyone. We are happy to have you here as we continue to plow through 2023. Seems like we've been here forever. It's only been a week. <laughs> uh, maybe two. I don't know at this point. Right. So this week, we're going to take you on a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. We're covering the volcano rescue from Vakatari. This is on Netflix. It was done in 2022. It's one hour and 38 minutes long. It was directed by Rory Kennedy, who also directed Downfall, the case against Boeing. So, Boom. Yeah. I like a repeat director. Also, I don't remember her doing it so much in the Boeing one, but in this one, I want to say thank you so very, very much, because almost every time a person came on to speak, the name was there. Like, repeatedly. It wasn't just that first time at the beginning. Every time their name and title was there. And I'm like, well, that's lovely. Right. They were really well labeled. Mm Mm-hmm. If I had one criticism, it's always in white font, no matter what the background. So I'm like, uh, but again, (laughs) I understand what they were going for. And I did appreciate the efforts. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have an issue with uh, subtitles. I think on Netflix is really bad about doing the white Mm -hmm. and yeah, then I can't see it half the time. This documentary opens with these amazing, like, flyover views of this volcanic island, which is Bakatari or White Island. It's kind of interchangeably um, referred to throughout the documentary. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful, as is all of New Zealand from what I've heard. I've never been. (laughs) Yes. Someday. Someday, guys. It is neat. So I assume some is some stock footage. Mm -hmm. Part of there are photos kind of interspersed in here. And these are photos from the day of December 9th, which is the day of the event. This is an active volcanic island. It's off the coast of New Zealand. It's the East Coast kind of North Island, which is where Auckland is, which is Mm -hmm. part of the story. And then this is a town, or then Wakatani is down the coast a little bit. There's a lot of discussion about what a great little community is that there's a lot of people taking care of people like the ideal place really is what it sounds like 38,000 people with about half of that population being Maori which is the indigenous population there and so they have some leaders of their culture kind of speaking and that man has the coolest hat that I've ever seen like he's very heavily tattooed and he's got like an awesome stick like a walking stick but he's like debonair I just thought that was so neat he looked like he could have easily picked up an old school Tommy gun and just been like hey guys you know I mean like an old gangster movie yeah it is a little gangster vibe I got yeah I like that I like that but I think his name is Paroto that's how I'm gonna pronounce his friend or his first first name sure yeah but he's just seems like the coolest dude ever 
they talk about White Island being about an hour and a half by boat ride off of the coast. And this is a big tourist draw. Um, there's a lot of adventure tourism, a lot of ecotourism. That's kind of the mm -hmm. theme here. So you can go and you can walk up to the crater of this volcano and kind of look in and see some stuff. And um, if you've ever been on a cruise, this is the kind of excursion they would offer you. I know I've done an, like an Alaska tour and we didn't see a volcano, but we went to see a glacier and we went to see like a fishing village and stuff like that. So this sort of the vibe of this is like, come and tour this cool island and look at all the formations and junk. And mm -hmm. there you go. Right. And keep in mind, only about 20 or 30 percent of the volcanoes above water. So it's mm -hmm. not like you're hiking up this huge cone volcano. <laughs> it's just the top of it that's really above. So you, it's a pretty easy hike. Mm -hmm. But it, it can be dangerous, right? Because it is an active volcano, which is a really vague term to me. Like, I just went to Costa Rica and saw an active volcano and there's, it hadn't exploded in a couple hundred years or something. And it was like, man, we got some time. And it was nothing. This looked like the surface of Mars. Like, this had an <laughs> acid lake. It was barren. It was clearly had been like spewing shit every now and then for a while. Right. But people go to see this because they're really cool formations. There's a lot of sulfur deposits that are green and yellow and orange. And it's mm -hmm. just, it was, it was an alien landscape. It was really neat to look at. And I totally understand why people are like, let's go uh, take a look at it or whatever. Oh, I would have absolutely done it. That's yeah. the first thing I thought is, yep, I would have signed up for that. <laughs> yes. There's steam all over the place. And like I said, the acid lake, which I would have thought played slightly larger role in downstream events, but I don't know. Mm -mm. But yeah, so they talk to several of the people that were booked for the tours on that day. So there are folks coming from, like I said, off cruise ships. There was Matt and Lauren Yuri. Mm -hmm. um, they're honeymooning. And December 9th, 2019 was Matt's day to choose the excursion, which I thought was adorable that they like back and forth. Mm -hmm. You know, you pick today, I'll pick tomorrow. Yeah, she's like, I just want to lay on a beach. And he's like, I want to go do something fun, right? So it was funny how they were like, listen, we got to balance this somehow. It was, right. yeah, they were really cute. It there. was very sweet. Mm -hmm. We also talked to Jesse Langford, who's an Australian tourist. He's on vacation um, cruising with his family. So they book an excursion on the Tapuya. It's a, a name of a boat, like through the tour, uh, tourist company. I don't know what you call that. Tural now. Toral. That's <laughs> fucking the worst. Ugh. I was doing so well. There's also Jeff Hopkins. He and his daughter book a tour for his 50th birthday. He's a pastor and she's, I don't know that she's like majoring in geology, but she studies, she's an interest in geology. So that's kind of mm -hmm. how they decide to go. But I don't think that they're, they're more local folks. They were New Zealand tourists. Yep. Yes, yep. exactly. And so they are booked on another boat called the Phoenix. So really this centers on the Tapoya and the Phoenix as the tour boats that are going on out to the island. There's also, um, we talked to Kelsey Waghorn. She's a guide on White Island Tours. That's the Tural company is the White <laughs> Island Tours. Sure is. <laughs> so, and then I think Mark Inman is somehow involved with this is he one of the owners of white island tour no oh, mark okay. inman is hayden's brother so hayden is one of the tour guides okay um so that day with kelsey it's kelsey jig hayden and tiffany mm -hmm. and they're the tour guides on 
the Tapoya, not on the okay. Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And Mark Inman is is talking about his brother, and okay, so that's how he's introduced. I thought maybe he had a little bit more to do with it because he seemed to know quite a bit about it, but maybe that was just in context for yeah, yeah. Okay, I think they live in not Vakari. They live in um, Wakatani. Yes, Wakatani. Mm-hmm. And he had discussed growing up there. You have hills. You have oceans. You have lakes. You have this volcano right there. It's just you have everything, and it's an amazing place to really live and grow up. So they. Him, Hayden, his brother, and, and family, they all kind of lived there for a very long time. Okay, gotcha. Just part of their life. Um, there's a lot of footage of Hayden early in this. Um, and let me say that man has the most striking lamb chops. Those chops. Oh, they are man. oh they are thick. They are burly and I mean, you can't even see through that. It's I don't, you don't know. mess with that. You don't mess no, with you the really lamb don't. chops like that. Yeah. Um <laughs> it's very serious some- chops eye hand coordination to get it to do that <laughs> so this is hayden started as a tour guide in 2009 mm-hmm. so i've been doing it for 10 years at this point it was december 9th 2019 that the mm-hmm. eruption happened he kept a diary and documented every tour he did and this day this actual tour happened to be his 1111th tour right and he just seems like a guy that was born to do this he really was into it yes. and kind of an environmentalist and seemed mm-hmm. to be a great people person, like just exactly everything you'd want a tour guide. So right. he seemed like a cool dude. I do like at this point that the people who were on the boats were like, it was horrible weather. It was super choppy. I mean, like the water was horrible. Like they were mm-hmm. all about to barf. And I was like, mm. that also would have been me. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. No sea bands <laughs> for me. It like could have, no. I mean, I got some good sea legs, but even I will Mm-mm. after an hour and a half, like, That's what I was gonna say. An hour and a half. It's not like a ten minute journey, right? This is an hour and a half, and they're like, you would just go way up and then way down, and then way up and way down. And I'm like, Mm-mm. and the people who did this all the time didn't seem to think it was that big of a deal. They're like, man, it was really normal for a day. It wasn't really particularly choppy. And other people are like, listen, we almost died just getting there. I just think it's funny. Like, what are you supposed to do then when you get there? Like, you just come out of it and you just feel great and you want to hike all over the place and I'm like and then you have to get back in the boat the choppy water and go home Mm-mm. I mm. hope they put that on there as like some information before you sign up for this because that's the thing that would deter me from going not the volcano itself an active volcano it's the transport to and from but there was another option certainly was there was a 20 minute helicopter ride you could take yes please mm-hmm. sign me up for that love it we meet Brian DePaul, who's a commercial helicopter pilot with a lovely Irish accent. He really is, yes. Mm-hmm. Sweet baby face. He looks like he's 17. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd card him for an R-rated movie. Right. This was his first day he was allowed to fly passenger solo. Poor cat. Anyway, but he said the flying conditions were perfect that day. It was beautiful. He had four passengers with mm-hmm. him that day. Okay, so now... Now we get to the day. The Phoenix takes off first, and it is well ahead of the Tapuya. Mm-hmm. So once the boat gets to the island, they then deploy smaller boats to get you onto the island. Right, So they park a little bit offshore. There's not a real good docking system here. Right. Again, it's a volcanic crater, so lots of rocky bits. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. I was thinking, I had looked it up some. And at certain times throughout history, there have been like mining towns there, like very small mining towns to get certain 
minerals, obviously, and then they would be like a, an eruption or an earthquake and things would like the the tunnels would collapse and shit. So when you look at it from above, you're like, but where? <laughs> right? Yeah. It really doesn't look like it's that big. Mm-hmm. You get the sense that most people could make this hike. It wasn't like super hilly, like you said. I mean, it wasn't like arduous. It was sort of like they do a lot of talk a lot about, well, you need a gas mask, you need a hard hat, and you need to suck on hard candies, which made me laugh hysterically because we always talk about <laughs> the noise. But those are things that will help your body deal with some of the fumes and shit like that that you're mm-hmm. out there working against. I think it's a short-term exposure, so it's not really going to cause any long-term to do, but it might bother you. I think it was the vibe that I was getting. So, Right. This helps helps your mouth produce saliva, which would help keep your throat moist in that and help <laughs> yes. keep from the irritation, I guess. So Jesse had Hayden and Tiffany for his family's guides, right? You have one guide up front and one in the back. Mm-hmm. And so usually I think about two groups per boat is what it sounded like. Mm-hmm. We meet Tiffany's grandmother and I'm not going to tr- try to pronounce this name because it is very long. Um, it is a, a Maori name and I would slaughter it, but she is introduced and she talks about Tiffany in this as well, how proud he was to be a Maori and how he likes sharing their um, stories with tourists, right? Because they have a lot of folklore and history yes. with Wakatari. Mm-hmm. And he liked being able to share that. Also, he wasn't supposed to work that day. He was covering for someone who had called out. Right. It is really sad to, um, you know, kind of hear like you're, it's setting up for things that come later, right? So we, it's a little bit of foreshadowing going on here. Mm-hmm. We do get, again, lots of footage on the day of and lots of like posing by a rock formation and posing by the acid lake. And it's so cute. So mm-hmm. I think the tour guides were doing a good job of delivering information and like interest points and whatever. And then also talking to them about stand here and do this. And, you know, so it's a little bit of a mixture of, which is the stuff that I like, the informational and the fun. So you're engaged with everything. And it, it sounds like these tour guides were on it in that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Giving a lot of history of it. And yeah. That. Yeah. So Lauren, who was one of our American tourists with her husband, mm-hmm. She's getting a little anxious, which is funny because Matt's like, listen, she's always anxious. Not a big deal. Right? It's fine. <laughs> Calm down. Right, right, right. And so she asked, she goes, when was, when was the last eruption? And he's like, oh, there was one in 2013 and one in 2016. And she's like, um, we're currently at the end of 2019 and she can do basic math. So, yeah. Even though she has a tiny lady brain, it was really quite stunning. I was it like, was. you go, girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the guys say it's at like a level two risk, which doesn't sound like that big of a deal until you realize you only have three levels. You have level (laughs) one, which is inactive, not really Mm -hmm. dormant, but just inactive. Level two is active and level three is actively exploding. So there's a lot of room between level one and level three. Right. I mean, who's making these levels? I mean, is there not a two point? Four two point eight. <laughs> um, it sounds like maybe their system, yeah, is a little flawed here. Do we need maybe a color system? Would that be easier for some people? <laughs> I, yes. I don't know. God. So when you're taking this hike, it's like a, basically a loop. You get on at the water, you hike up like kind of the left side, like 
there are big mountains behind this crater. So you're mm-hmm. in almost a flatter portion. You walk up to the crater, you take a couple pictures. You can't stay there long because the fumes from the acid lake right. will probably just dissolve you. And Melt then, your face off. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you come right back down the other side. So it's a loop. And so Lauren had talked about, you know, they took some pictures. They showed some pictures. They had really cute pictures. They did. And then they started to head back down. And she's like, okay, I feel better now. We're going back. Mm-hmm. That's how it should be. I think it was about a 45-minute trek, maybe an hour trek total. I can't remember. Yes. You, you weren't there a whole long time. So mm-hmm. um, it seemed like that suited her. So Matt got what he wanted, a little adventure. And then she was like, peace out, y'all. Let's go back to the cruise ship. So I think that she was much relieved as they were heading back. Mm-hmm. So Hayden's group was the last to get to the crater. It does show them with gas masks on. So everybody else in our story has sort of turned the corner and is on their way back where Hayden's group is, you know, <laughs> just at the crater mm-hmm. last. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you have Jeff, who is the New Zealand tourist with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Kent, they were back on the Phoenix already and had departed. Yes. Mm-hmm. The two groups from the Tapuya, we have Matt and Lauren's group who are coming back. We have Jesse's group who's at the crater. We also have Brian's small group of four who is heading yes. back from the crater. Now, they don't do mm-hmm. quite the same pattern because the helipad is kind of in the middle yes. of the loop. But they're still heading back to the helipad at that point. They look like teeny tiny little pieces of wood that these people are landing on. Well done, everyone who can land on those. Yeah. I can't parallel park my car, so that's not going to happen. I mean, I guess it's nice that there's no foliage anywhere. It's just like a barren rock. So, I mean, like you put like one thing to aim for, not to diminish their skills, but it's not like they're navigating through like power lines and trees and shit. So true. There is that. Mm -hmm. So when Jeff and his group on the Phoenix leave, there are 47 people still on the island. As they're walking back, so you have Matt and Lauren's group who are walking back. Matt said he heard someone say, hey, look at that. And he turned around and there was a black cloud coming out of the crater. And he's like, it was Mm -hmm. beautiful. Everyone took pictures. Didn't think much of it. And then they start hearing the booms and larger clouds are coming out. And then it's terrifying. So Kelsey yells, run. Um, Hayden to his group tells them to run. Mm -hmm. trying to get away from the crater, trying to find some kind of shelter. Right. Yeah. All about putting distance between you and this black cloud that's ever expanding. Right. So not only is it going up, it's moving out across Mm -hmm. the barren rocky place where you're walking. And I think there's probably a few seconds where you're like, huh. And they're like, oh shit. And so like, then they're like booking. Yeah. Right. Matt and Lauren and his group were able to take shelter behind, like, some rocks. Mm-hmm. I say shelter loosely. This isn't, like, a, a real shelter. This is maybe it'll kind of go a little bit around us. Right. And they do have some camera footage. of This is where yes. my anxiety just goes way up watching this. So I can't imagine how they felt. There's chaos. There's a lot of yelling and running. And then it's black and when I say black I mean you're in a room with no windows and no lights and no cracks the darkest thing you've ever been in in your life that terrifies me I can't even imagine Jeff mentions seeing the eruption from the deck of the phoenix and they too are like 
huh, how interesting. And then it starts to again spread out towards them. <laughs> he says he notices that the boat just drops the hammer. And like, so they're trying to right. outrun it. And so he was like, oh, it's erupting. So they definitely get the message that things are getting dangerous. So they are definitely trying to get away from it. And let's put something in perspective. This volcano is um, what they call a stratovolcano. And it's, I think, and I'm not sure I did not look it up. Someone could obviously correct me. Sure. I think it's similar to the extent of the eruptions are going to be similar to say, think Mount Vesuvius, right? It's not like a Hawaiian volcano that just constantly has a slow lava just kind of mm-hmm. oozing out of it. There's gas, ash, really super hot steam, hundreds of degrees and rock mm-hmm. just flying out. So it's pyroclast just flying out. That's the kind of eruption this is really fast, really strong, really hot. Right. So we kind of find out from the people on the scene that the blackness contains the steam and it's burning them. Right. So it's burning Mm -hmm. them through their clothes, which is an interesting thing to think about. Right. But they were like, we just felt like we were being skinned. It was just extremely uncomfortable. I mean, like just the worst thing you ever felt. People are screaming. The eruption itself only lasts a couple minutes. Yeah. Like just over two minutes. Right. But the damage that was inflicted on these folks is just catastrophic is probably mm-hmm. the best way that I can put this. And they're miles and miles and miles from help. <laughs> so it's right. Like, Remember, 90 minutes by boat. Yes. So it's not like you can call 911 and someone's up the road, right? Right. You know, we talked to Brian. His group was kind of walking back down. They, again, had a little bit different path because they were the helicopter crew. The eruption starts to happen. They look to him and he's like, just move for the water. They chose to run for the water and jumped in. And Brian, I wrote down, has the breath control of a lifetime. I mean, he just like talks about like, I was underwater forever. There was, um, I was waiting for things to clear and the light to come back. So I knew like, you know, it was safe, safer to come up. So he makes a move and then it kind of closes out again. And so he's back in the darkness and eventually he's able to surface and the worst of it has passed. Mm -hmm. And then he doesn't ever talk about his crew again. So I don't know what happened to them. I don't know. Those (laughs) four people. Yeah. But they seem to fare a lot better being in the water Mm -hmm. than the folks that were really exposed on that rocky face of the island. So, yeah. right. The steam did the most damage because it was, like I said, a couple hundred degrees Celsius. And then, of course, you have all the ash. So a lot of them, if they were able to get their gas mask on, that would help filter out. Well, there are different kinds, right? I'm guessing it would help filter out some of that large particulates. Right. And those things were the worst. Yes, there were rocks, but I, I don't think they were as bad as the other injuries. You know, once it passes, again, it's only two minutes. I'm sure it felt like two months. Right. Then Kelsey was like, okay, this is it. We either go now or we don't go at all. So she tries to get her group and go toward the water. Right. These people have been severely burned. Some of them can barely move. I don't know that all of them made it. I know Matt said his skin was just kind of flopping off his arms. Yes. Lauren was struggling to walk. She kept falling, but he was helping her. It was kind of like his adrenaline was keeping him going to get I her mm-hmm. to the boat. Yeah. It broke my heart when during the eruption, he just kept saying, I'm sorry to Lauren because this was his choice that day. And I was like, oh, you, it's not your fault. You couldn't have predicted this, but it was very sweet and sad. And I think it's just very human to be like, 
oh my god like what a rotten choice and I you know the guilt mm-hmm. that he's probably still dealing with over, oh I would you know yep. yeah mm-hmm. yeah so that seems to be kind of a a long-term thing that they're dealing with and not just them I mean I think there are a lot of people in the same boat so much therapy right so things pass over Matt and Lauren are able to kind of make their way towards the jetty towards the water and the pier Jesse again he is closer to the eruption site it sounds like to me from his group he's about the only one that's able to get on their feet there are a lot of folks around that are just kind of writhing on the ground think of a bit of a nightmare scenario there he says he does see his father his dad is sitting up and kind of struggling but his mom is not she's just kind of laying there and he doesn't see a sister anywhere so he's able to push on his feet again he's what maybe 20 in this um i think that that really has something to play into this because he's strong you know Mm -hmm. the youths um right maybe they had a bit of an advantage here but he is able to walk and i don't think it's a good clip i think he's just barely staying on his feet um he talks about finding one of the streams at some point and kind of Mm -hmm. trying to follow that and knowing that if he stops he's not going to get back up and I'm like, yikes, Absolutely. that's scary. That's very scary. He does wait a little bit, right? Because he's like, maybe some of no, people true. will come. Yeah. And as he hears people crying and screaming, and those cries and screams start getting less and less. So you know that means people are either passing out from the pain or no longer with us. That's when he's like, listen, I can't just sit here anymore. No one's coming. So he heads towards the water. Right. The Phoenix, the skipper of the Phoenix, Sorry. I love the name Skipper. I love that title, Skipper, and I would like to be a Skipper someday. <laughs> right. Turns the boat around and goes back. They're going to try to get some people off the island because they know right. they're yeah. people still there. And Jeff talks about, like, they were headed into the cloud, which was probably slightly terrifying as well. Like, listen, bitch, sure we was. were out. We were free. And then <laughs> the one thing I will say about everyone they talk to that does the rescuing None of them seem arrogant. They're like, listen, you you either do or you don't. And we did. Right. Yeah. It wasn't even an option. We nope. didn't really even think about not going back for people. And I, you know, I think that that's my hope if I ever found myself in this position, right? You want to be a person, you want to be a helper. But I think a lot of it speaks volumes to the country. If you think about how yes. they handled COVID versus how, say, we handled COVID, their thoughts were, listen, we don't want to injure other people. If you're sick, you don't go out, you don't get other people sick, whereas our country was extremely selfish. So, Right. Our economy, y'all. Our economy. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is just one way they differentiate themselves. Right. We meet Isaac Tate, who's the president of the Bakitani Coast Guard. He hears the call coming from the Phoenix that there were people on the island and it was erupting. He said, right. you, you knew how horrible it must have been because within minutes they're like, where's our help? And he's like, this dude knows how far away we are, and yet he's still asking for it immediately. Right. So the mainland's starting to get keyed into the fact that there's shenanigans afoot, right? So we also hear from Jason Herring, who's the constable of mm-hmm. the Wakatani police, which I'm like, constable, what a great, what a lovely word. Again, a great title. Mm-hmm. So they're assessing they're trying to pull together how do we respond um, trying to get some information because we find out that there's not a ton of great cell reception here not on the island there's none yes right so Mm -hmm. they don't they don't really have a good 
feel for what's going on here. So they know something has happened. They know there are people who have been affected, but they don't know how severely shit's going down. And the last couple eruptions, keep in mind, happened when no one was on the island. So this is the first time this has really happened where it affected people. Right. So it's happened at night. They mentioned that specifically. And then again, when nobody's on there. So yeah, Mm -hmm. what are we really dealing with? Jeff mentions seeing people kind of changes their purpose and they're able to help with first aid. So the staff on the Phoenix is kind of mobilizing as they get closer to Mm -hmm. the jetty where people are gathered. And so Jeff says, Hey, I've been, you know, first aid trained and my daughter has two. where can we help? And they're like, absolutely get your asses out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're going to take everybody we could get. And I thought that was really cool. And then they talk to Brian who has made his way back to the jetty and is trying to help bring some order to a little bit of a chaotic situation as everybody is trying to, they're like swamping the kind of Zodiac, the rubber boats that are coming from the, the Phoenix to try to get people to take back to the, you know, Mm -hmm. the bigger boat. So I think there's probably some pushing and stuff like that. Think the microcosm of the Titanic, Titanic, right? Yeah. Yes. So they're trying to like, maybe get the worst injured on there first, that kind of situation, um, kind of assessing and, and moving people accordingly. Right. So. And they're, they don't know, no one knows, is it going to go off again? Was yes. this just a precursor? Is it going to get worse? So they're terrified and they want to get off, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. They also mention Jeff mentions that as they get closer to the Island, that you can see Brian's helicopter had been pushed off the helipad. It had been turned on its like side the the rotors were bent so that was the force of the steam that came out and the ash cloud to push the helicopter that's a lot of fucking force it puts it into perspective really and i know we were kind of making fun of the helipad which looks like somebody dropped like a crate in the yeah <laughs> it just was tiny yeah. but yeah it got the helicopter did get dumped off there. So they have pictures before they have pictures after. So they're showing you some of this and it's just fucking crazy. Brian is bringing us some thoughts about there are people who are burned in 45% of their bodies. There are people that are burned in 80% of their bodies and there are people that are burned everywhere that you can see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're talking and later you find out that this is 200 degrees Celsius is what the steam they're kind of, guesstimating that temperature at so this is really wild it's just yeah. very very difficult yeah and they met they he mentioned that after 45 percent burns over your body is when you're that is where your chances of survival really start to plummet so he knows that people he's helping under the boat and they're not doing so well are probably not going to make it back and, you know, there's some grim stuff they talk about, like, you know, you grab a hold of somebody to try to help them and their skin just sloughs off, which is Ugh. difficult to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it's good to discuss, like, how serious this was. This was not, like, just a casual, like, cut on my arm or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was pretty nasty. Just get some butter on it. <laughs> and then, so they they leave, right? Mm-hmm. And Jeff's talking about, I'm looking at this first aid kit. There's nothing in there that's going to help. So they just dump it out and start filling it with seawater. Cold right? water. Yeah. T- I don't right. know if it's seawater or not because I would think the salt would burn, but I don't fucking know. Well, I'm like, where did the, they didn't discuss where the water came from. 
I agree. They said cold water. I assumed it was mm-hmm. seawater because that would have been what's readily available. Right, but if they're going full balls to the uh, wall, yeah, you're not really scooping in. I don't know, but yeah, they were using pouring cold water over the burns of people to help them try to try to alleviate the pain because, I mean, you so much as burn your finger, it's excruciating. I've heard, you know, burns when you get severely burned like that. It's just there's nothing. Everything hurts, right? Air hurts. Everything hurts. It's the most horrible thing ever. Right. Okay. Well, I like your I like your take on that a little bit better because I was sort of like you. It bothered me to pour seawater on these people. Although Matt and Lauren talked about being in the bow of the boat and they're getting sprayed and there's mm-hmm. sun everywhere and there's wind and it's all over their burns oh, and I'm thinking gosh, like yeah. uh, the seawater bothered me because it's like there's a lot of gross shit in seawater that is going in your open wounds, maybe not the best, but I mean, they didn't have any options here. It was just um, kind of doing yeah. the best they could with what they had. And I'm guessing as a boat that is meant to take an hour and a half trip there, hour and a half trip back and be there for a while, they probably have a decent water supply. Maybe, sure. maybe I even mean, a bathroom on board that they have fresh water to use for the sink or I mean, something. Yeah, absolutely. I like, I like that a little bit better than what I was thinking about. We meet Mark Law, who's a commercial helicopter pilot. Can I mention that he looks like Pacha from the Emperor's New Group? Like his face looks like a cartoon. He's handsome, like a handsome yeah. cartoon. But um, right. it's his nose. I'm like, that looks familiar. And it took me a minute. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. That's okay. I thought there were several striking dudes in this. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, New Zealand's got it going on. Right. Let's go. And we also meet Tim Barrow, who's a commercial helicopter pilot for a volcanic air. And they had seen the eruption and they knew kind of immediately that they had the means, um, they had the ability, so they were going to go and try to help because they knew people were there. There were three total pilots, but they didn't ever mention the last pilot's name. I never got that. Yeah, so there were three that were able to go from uh, the volcanic air to get out there to help help folks. They also had John Fennell. Fennell. Fennell, okay. He's like a plane pilot, a small aircraft, though. So mm-hmm. like a personal aircraft. He's a pilot. He was out kind of doing some other stuff, uh, heard the call of some of the other folks. And so he was able to fly around. He's not picking anybody up because, again, he's going to have a runway and some clearance to get on the ground. But he was able to kind of coordinate information, let people know what was going on. He's contacting the authorities, um, letting them know, like, hey, we really need some help out here. Right. Keep in mind, again, there's no <laughs> cell phone reception, right? So right. they don't have any information. So he's able to fly around the island and, and give the people in charge that need the information, the information, right? This is the situation. These are the people. This is what we're doing here. Here's the conditions. So it seemed like he was in contact with the helicopter pilots and relaying some of that information too. So I thought that was pretty smart. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that initially the authorities are like, yep, sure. We'll send some people out there. On we'll our send way. some, mm-hmm. yeah, larger helicopters with like stretchers and that kind of stuff. Instead Medical of like, equipment, you know, maybe, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that kind of stuff, like more specific aid. And so initially that's what the plan is. And then shortly after that, they decide because they don't know what the extent of the eruption is going to be. They kind of cancel that. They say, we're not able to send anybody because we can't put, you know, the rescuers lives in danger. And I think there's a time and a place for that. And I, you know, I don't want to shit all over them for that, but I'm just like, Jesus Christ, there are people who are already doing this. And Mm so I don't, it was just, it felt like a letdown from the authorities. But maybe 
maybe that was part of the reason why they were, it was easier to make that decision. I'm not saying that was an easy decision to make. Yeah. But there were already three helicopters there and they knew that there were 21 people that remained, I mean, between talking to the Phoenix and whatnot. So they knew there were still 21 people, I think, on on the the island. island. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Words, not good. Anyway. So maybe knowing that there were three helicopters there and possibly, I mean, the, the Tapuya was still there. I don't know if it was viable anymore. The other ship, right. Or the other boat. Yeah. We don't really, we don't hear much more about that. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were like, listen, there, there's already help there. We don't want to put more people in danger. If no one had been there at all, they might've been more inclined to go. I don't know. They don't necessarily discuss any of that though. They're, I mean, the message that we get from this, is that it's a no-fly zone. It's more dangerous than they're willing to send more folks in there. They don't really give any other reason other than that. So I agree with you. Uh, There could have been some behind-the-scenes reasoning, but -hmm. they didn't really share that. So this is just conjecture, honestly. Right. I mean, yeah, they didn't clear it with me first. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) That's exactly. (laughs) We need to talk, Jacinda. So we go back to the Phoenix. Jeff is talking about you know, helping the people. Amy says that Jeff actually puts a blanket over to try to protect her skin and keep her warm. He actually lays down with her to try to keep her warm, which I think is very, very sweet. Is that Amy or Lauren? I'm sorry, Lauren. There is no Amy. I don't know why I keep calling her Amy. (laughs) It's okay. Sorry, Lauren. No, I wrote her name down as Amy several times and then I go back and change it. And for some reason, one got missed. She looks like Amy and it was also a lovely name. Both of them are lovely. It's nothing to do with her. Anyway, Lauren. Yes. She said that she's not religious, but she prayed to God to end her life, essentially to end the pain. I know. And that's that's when she passed out. Oh, that's just miserable. Mm hmm. So, yeah, they face that hour and a half boat ride back trying to deal with all this. Kelsey also mentions being on the boat and just how can we not be there? Right. How has it not been five hours already? Yes. Right. Right. So, you know that these people are really in a bad way. You know, Lauren thinks she's not going to make it. You know, she even says that several times before passing out. So, I mean, I just can't imagine the, the mental state you must be in. We go back to our friend Mark Law. He's a badass because he's moving injured people into the helicopters and they take off and come back. So it ended up being three or three helicopters with 12 survivors mm-hmm. in there. So they are able to get everybody. Right. They were able to get everyone that was still surviving. Jesse, however, still, when he gets closer to water, he hears a... He sees uh, one of the guides and they're talking on uh, a radio saying, hey, this is it. There's no more. Because when the Phoenix left, oh, yeah, a, couple yeah. of, a couple of the guys decided to stay behind and try to help find yes. more survivors. Right. And so they thought they didn't have any more, but Jesse stumbles up and they have him. So now that I think of that, he must have gotten in the Tapoya. I think you're right. Yep. I think you're right. They. I know they don't really talk about it, but. Yes. This is not necessarily super duper sequential. <laughs> So it's just like people's recollections. So nor is it really important how he got off the island. He just got off the island, right? Right. But yeah, Mark and Tim are putting people in helicopters. These helicopters are not equipped to, like we said, they don't have stretchers. They're not medical ambulance helicopters. They're just for passengers, and so they have people sitting up and trying to lift people up into these seats, which was probably excruciatingly painful for them. Buckling them in to help them stay up, less stay in, more stay up. Right. And then they just had the 20 minute helicopter ride back, which the like air traffic was trying to say, listen, you need to go to the airport. And they're like, 
fuck right fuck off. off. Yeah. We're going to the hospital. <laughs> we just don't have time. I mean, there must have been a helipad there too, right? Most most hospitals have helipads, yeah. I don't know about yeah. New Zealand, but I just assume they right. all do, yeah. But that's what he was saying. They're not gonna once we get there, they're not gonna turn us away. These people these were the people right next to the crater. They are the worst injured. So then we kind of the let's say the Phoenix arrives first. I mean the helicopters might have been there first, I don't know. But the Phoenix ends up coming in hot. There's all kinds of rescue folks and support there to help them. So Matt is able to walk off the boat, which seems like a miracle considering how badly right. burned he is. You know, they move Lauren. He doesn't want to be separated from her. So until they get to the hospital and they really have to treat them separately, they are able to stay together. Kelsey, the tour guide, she is there on the Phoenix. She gets off. She sees her family. She does not want them to see her because she's hurting. So she kind of tries to sneakily get on an ambulance and and get out of there. Yeah, which on one hand, I understand and I appreciate. She didn't want her mom and sister to see her in that much pain. On the other hand, as a mother, stop it. I just want to know you're alive. (laughs) Yes. Right? (laughs) Yeah. But again, I think that's a really human reaction to be like, I don't want you guys to, to suffer. So and worry about me. Yeah. And again, she's not thinking straight. I think that's mm-hmm. the other thing here that you can be like, oh, okay. So we talk about Jeff who says once they hand the people off to the next round of rescue workers, that everybody just fucking loses their shit because it's been so traumatic and they, you know, they're out of the hot seat now. And so now all the emotions come rushing in. And I just think about how difficult that part must have been and talk about some guilt. about Like Mm. we were five minutes ahead of them and, you know, uh, I just, but, but he's absolutely right. In the middle of an emergency, you function, you just go on autopilot and you get things done. Mm -hmm. You get out of it. There's something else to focus on. Yes. But the minute it's over and that adrenaline dumps out of your body and you just, you're exhausted, your emotions come to front and it's just horrible. You just break down. Right. That's it. So yeah. there's a lot of discussion about like calling wives, calling, you know, loved ones and just mm-hmm. kind of melting down, which I, you know, I hope they got some good counseling for that because I think they probably need it. You know, during this, we also hear Mark Inman talking about, you know, his wife had called him and told him about the eruption. And so he's trying to call his brother Hayden. He's not answering. He tries to call Hayden's friends. He's at the wharf trying to find out if he's on one of the boats. You know, he doesn't, he realizes he didn't come off the Phoenix. He didn't, he wasn't accounted for in any of the helicopters. He finally gets a hold of one of the other, I think, guides. And they're like, oh, we saw him. We saw him on the island, but he didn't make it off. And so we realize of the eight people that were left on the island, uh, Hayden and Tiffany were two of them, and they believe that they were the ones kind of helping those others in the last moments, try just trying to make them comfortable. Yeah, some of the survivors mentioned they saw some footsteps in the ash, and so the translation of that was there was somebody up helping, you know, trying to comfort the other people, and so, you know, up until the end, until they succumbed to their injuries, probably you know, Hayden and Tiffany were out there helping, doing doing the work that they could do to try to, you know, bring some ease to those other folks. And so I hope that brings some comfort to their families. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It makes so me so difficult. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really tough. It was really tough. 
So we find out that Mark is in a coma in a foreign country for over a month. He did call his mom before he went into yes. a coma, though, because he's yeah. a good son. <laughs> he's a responsible son, yes. <laughs> and then we kind of move into this place where we talk about the aftermath for these folks that we've been with throughout this documentary. Mm-hmm. Jesse lost his mom, his dad, and his sister. He said he's been through 17 surgeries. He was initially told that he'd be in the hospital for over a year, but because he's uh, made of a certain kind of stuff, he was out in two months. And he just continues to focus on healing and moving forward. And he's got really good support from his grandfather, who, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of makes an appearance. He does some things I think that help motivate him. Like he's taking recovery pictures every other day. So you can see his transformation over time. And Mm -hmm. he's out like fucking kickboxing and shit. I don't know. I'm like my dude. I know. I know. And, and in part of that, listen, he looks like he has the fewest amount of burns at this point compared to a lot of the others that were farther away. And it could have been the skin grafts took better. I have no idea what, what causes because he was right next to the crater. But at one point, it looked like he had literally no skin on his body. And it reminded me of Hellraiser when the guy first comes back out. And I'm like, oh, that that had to be painful, right? Because he had like no skin on his body. And in two months, he was out in two months. This kid is, he needs a cape or something. I don't know. Remarkable, right? Yeah. Remarkable. Matt and Lauren talk about, there's a lot of struggle some days. Some days, it's okay. But they have visible burns, you know, shirt sleeves when they have short sleeves on. Lauren's, her hands, there's some stuff. Yep. So, you know, they have visible reminders every day. And, you know, they mention things like they are still having a surgery every month, every other month, something like that. This is 18 months later that we're talking to them about this. They also mentioned training for a marathon. So they are doing some things you know, some proactive stuff. And that's great. They seem like they're like, this has brought them closer, which I was really glad. Because mm-hmm. You know, that seems like it would be really tough. Well, that's a make or break situation, right? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And they're newlyweds. So it helps that it brought them in that direction. But yeah, it, it's they're very sweet together. Um, you see them cooking together. And yeah, and, and doing stuff to try to keep their mind off it. Because you know, and talking to Lauren, you can tell some days are really, really bad days and just trying to get through it. Yeah. And there's, you know, the struggles, like they have some dexterity issues. Matt talks mm-hmm. about some of that. And, you know, so there's this really heart wrenching part where they talk about Matt's got one part on his arm where is not burned because she was grabbing onto his arm right there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and they kind of show you how it fits together. And I'm just like, I mean, just sobbing right yeah yeah Yeah. but when it's that completely dark you have to grab onto something you don't know I know it's more I want him near me but I would have grabbed onto anyone next to me just to know that I wasn't (laughs) you know what I mean because it's terrifying right but anyway it makes for a great story it's really sweet we talked to Kelsey who I thought what she discussed was she was burned from her boots, like the edge of her boots on her legs up until where her shorts hit. Mm -hmm. So, and she said that she was kind of squatting down. So the back of her legs, like the back of her knees was spared. So it's just, it's interesting to think about positioning and, and -hmm. how that affected you. So, you know, and she was talking about finding out 
that Hayden hadn't made it. And it was, Mm -hmm. you know, a few weeks later and it was just sort of like, she mentioned it and then everybody just broke down in front of her and she was like, Oh shit. You know? So that was tough. Right. Yeah, absolutely. What I think was interesting, because Matt had said that he wished they would have had more information before going. Like, if they would have put out there, this is when the volcano had erupted. I don't know. I don't know what information he wanted. Because they do tell you it's an active volcano, um, which, again, is very vague. He says, had I known then what I know now, I wouldn't have gone. But, well, of course, because you got caught up in it. But (laughs) if you had made it out, it probably would have been slightly different does that make sense had you gone the day before you wouldn't have really thought much of it right it's it's an interesting thing to think about because they do talk at the end like nobody really took responsibility for the people who were injured nobody took responsibility mm-hmm. for the deaths. so it's like mm-hmm. <sighs> but at the same time i mean i don't think that those tour guide you know the tour companies were necessarily irresponsible i think they were just kind of going along with what everybody thought like the kind of common assumptions that were going on here. Now we do find out that there's no longer anybody allowed on the Island, which I think is probably for the best. Right. Right. I mean, it's, did it not go off last year? It's due to go off. It's been three years. Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I really like is that the Maori leader who we met earlier, gangsta, he talks about earlier. He talks about how, the volcano was really part of their folklore, where they come from. Um, it is said that the ancestor Ta'ahi, I think, died. When he died, his spirit was transformed and became one of the guardians of the ocean. And these dead have also become similar to the ancestor to become guardians because Vakari has given her consent to have them there as guardians, and they will never be forgotten. Mm-hmm. I like that story. I'm not religious, but I like that story. You know, it's kind of like they won't be forgotten. They won't, they haven't, I don't know, died in vain. There's just some mm-hmm. belonging that's given to them. Yeah. And I thought now that, they're was, that was, yeah, yeah that that was cool. Mm-hmm. All in all, there were 22 people who died. Yeah. And so Jesse, we had said he lost his whole family. His dad made it out. He was one of them on the helicopter, but he died of his wounds or his injuries. His mom was never, was not removed at that day. She was, her body was retrieved a few days later when the army went out to get any remaining bodies. And his sister was never found. Her body was I know. I thought that was interesting too. Like, that's hard. Curious if she fell into the lake or something, you know what I mean? In the darkness, if you're stumbling or something. Uh, Right. Absolutely. But yeah, to to just not have that closure, I think would be really difficult. So you kind of think when you go on these little adventure tour things, like I don't think that the sense of danger is very well communicated or, or maybe mm-hmm. this makes me think a little bit different <laughs> how I'm going and how I'm handling things. I don't know. Well, and some people go because of that danger. Even Jesse had mentioned that he enjoys, he enjoyed taking risks. Now they're going to be a little bit more, you know, thoroughly vetted i'm sure but <laughs> possibly yes you know they enjoy doing risky things they have videos of him jumping off a building for crying out loud so that was part of the fun of it i think until it's not but they did send the military out to get the remaining deceased bodies that they could find so at least they were brought brought back and able to be buried 
I had some questions about, like Kelsey mentions that there's been a ton of community support. Like that was one of the good things that has come out of this. So there were some mm-hmm. positives and the community support was one of those. And then Mark Enman talks a little bit about, he takes the boat out and they go back to the White Island and they kind of pour one out in the for sea the for Hayden. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, people are kind of trying to find some silver linings here. I am really curious about who paid for some of this. Like, I don't know. Mark is a good example. If you're a, you know, person in the States and you go out of the country and you have a major incident, like where he's in the hospital for a really long time. I mean, did they write that off? I'm very curious about sort of, you know, that kind of stuff. I can't speak for every country. I can't speak for every situation. I do know I have read stories of people who traveled out of the country, got injured and had to go to the hospital. And of course are terrified of the bill. And it's like, listen, yo, it's like a hundred dollars. So you fall into that system while you're there. I believe maybe there are some differences, but also when you travel, I always make sure I have my insurance and everything with me and they should make up for the differences, but we all know how well the insurance in the United States works. So, but yeah, I think while they were there, they were probably covered. Okay. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Cause I, I just didn't like the fact that, you know, being re-victimized um, by that system was scary to me. I'm pretty sure that Matt and Lauren are, are continuously being victimized by the United States healthcare system. <laughs> yes. Once they got back, yeah, I'm not sure how they were, how long they were in New Zealand before they were able to come back. I know he was in a coma for over a month, I think. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like, okay, so say he's in a coma and she wasn't, and let's say she was released first, who pays for the hotel and everything. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know about that. Like, I hope that the community support may have been part of that scene. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't know. It's just a thought, but I, I hope that you know, people got the care that they needed without having to pay for it out of pocket. You know, it's just scary to think about ugh, um, that kind of stuff. Right. So. You've already been through this and now you're yeah. going to have to sell your soul to pay for everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's yes. I guess that is one bright side. At least it happened in a country with social health care. I, I mean, I mean, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? A country that thinks about others before themselves. So that's, pro- yeah, they probably were taken care of very well until they left. I hope so. I hope that's Mm -hmm. the case. Um, That's what I want to believe. So me too. Yeah, this is a great documentary. It is difficult to watch, but it's a a compelling story. It's a tough one. Yeah. It's so well done. It is hard to watch because of the anxiety and then the emotional aspect of it. And then watching like Tiffany's grandmother talk about how her house has windows on all sides that face the volcano and she just has to close them. She can't even look at it anymore. I don't blame her. I don't blame her at all. So it's, it is very hard to watch. I cried both times I watched it, <laughs> yeah. but everyone should see it because it was, it was really, really good. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. We'll talk about next week. Sound okay? Yeah. Yep. What are we doing next week? So stick with Netflix. Cause evidently they're uh, on the thread for us right now. Um, we're going to do get smart <laughs> with money. A lot of people making resolutions this time of year. Yep, And being better with money, saving money tends to be up there with losing weight and whatnot. So um, mm-hmm. we're going to check this one out. It's an hour and 33 minutes. 
So it's kind of right in our sweet spot again. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll learn, uh, learn how to handle some things better. Yeah. I mean, that's how I'm going to be rich is just watching this. <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen. Right. Got to gain that knowledge. Yeah. So please rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GoDocYourself. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening today. And we will talk to you next week, guys. Have a good week. All right. Later. Bye. It's nice to meet you when we meet again.